This is PhotoBizX, episode number 536, and today we are talking event giveaways and how you can utilize events, no matter how small, to generate fantastic leads who go on to make great clients and terrific sales in your photography business. Our special guest is pet photographer Marie Wolfram, and I can tell you off the bat that what Marie shares in regards to her business will work for you whether or not you are a pet photographer. So if you shoot weddings or portraits or kids or newborns, you can use her tactics and strategies to generate leads through events, although you may have to look at different options to a pet-specific event. Stick around for that because that interview is coming up in just a minute. Are you planning to have a successful wedding and portrait photography business? Join Andrew as he interviews successful photographers and business experts to fast track your success. Welcome to the Photo Biz Exposed podcast with your host, Andrew Helmich. Hey, it's Andrew Helmich here, host of the Photo Biz X podcast, where I interview guests to help you build a better photography business, even faster than going it alone. I know you're going to love what Marie has to share about the way she generates all or so many of her clients. Before we do get into the chat with Marie, if you didn't catch last week's episode with Melissa Rich, it's definitely worth going back for if you are looking for a new CRM, if you're looking to get started with a CRM, if you're looking to change CRMs, or, and this has come to light more so after that interview, if you are looking at project management software to keep everything on track and on schedule within your business. Get back and have a listen to what Melissa shares. She is an absolute CRM guru. She helps photographers get set up or relocate to new CRMs. She shares so many tips and tricks, which CRM platforms to go for, which ones to avoid and why. It's all covered in last week's episode with Melissa Rich. I have a couple of things I want to share with you in addition to the interview with Marie in today's episode. One of them is I attended a wedding, a family wedding on the weekend, and it was so, so good. But I'm going to share more about that after the interview. I'll leave that for the end of the show. Before we do get into this interview, I also want to make you aware of what I think is the missing link in regards to training for photographers. And if it's not your missing link, it certainly is the missing link from what I've been able to offer you in regards to courses and training on the PhotoBizX platform. And I am talking about lead qualification There are so many different courses out there on generating leads, particularly those around Facebook ads. I mean, even what Marie will share in today's interview about her way of generating leads. There are obviously competitions, book projects, third-party marketing strategies, school or business events. We always hear so much about generating leads and how to bring more leads in, thinking that that will be the secret to our success. But unless you can qualify those leads effectively, you will not get the bookings, you will not attract the right clients, you will not be making the sales that you need to survive with your photography business. Now, if you did hear the recent interview with Audra Harris, you will know that she runs a business where you can outsource your lead qualifying process to her and her team. She's been doing this for a number of years now. She has a team making these calls for photographers, mainly in the US, 
and she's booked more than 9,000 portrait sessions for her clients. So she knows what she's doing. And those portrait sessions, those portrait clients have gone on to spend over $11 million with their respective portrait photographers. So she knows how to qualify leads. In fact, her business only survives, she only gets paid when a lead actually books a session. So when I say that she not only walks the walk, but talks the talk, that is 100% the case. So I am really excited to have Audra come on and present some training for us. Now the details, that's what you are probably waiting for. The details, it's happening via Zoom. It's a live class, a live masterclass on November 9th, 2023 at 8am Australian Eastern Daylight Savings Time. I've got a link where you can find your local time. The cost of the training is US $197, which means you will simply have to qualify and book one lead and make a sale to that lead to make this course easily pay for itself which I believe makes this an absolute bargain. So you've got the date, November 9th, 2023, 8 a.m. If you register for the live training, you will get access to the recording afterwards at the special price of $197. It's doubling in price after the live event. So you do need to register before November 9th to get that special price of $197. And again, you'll have permanent access to the recorded content, the downloads, and everything that goes along with that after that live event, including a Q&A with Audra, where she will answer your follow-up questions. Now, that's all if you register before the live presentation. In addition to that, there is a massive bonus for early registrations. You will get absolutely free the original Facebook ads course to help you generate leads. This is the course that has brought in thousands and thousands and thousands of leads to PhotoBizX members and listeners. Now, if you already have this Facebook ads course, then I'm going to give you the chance to gift that to a photographer friend, which I'm hoping that you think is a really cool idea as well. Now, maybe you don't want to give this to a photographer friend that lives close to you (laughs) because it is so effective at generating leads. But yeah, you have that option to give that away if you want to. Now, for more details, head over to photobizx.com forward slash qualify. There's also a link to take you to that page in the show notes for today's episode. Head over there, register for the training, and I'll keep you updated with emails. You'll get that Zoom link and, of course, access to the recording after the live presentation. Now, on that registration page, you'll find more details about the training, some more information about Audra and her experience. I mean, she really is the right person to be delivering this training. So, yeah, I think this is a no-brainer. And like I said at the start, I think this is the missing link for so many photographers. In fact, there's a conversation going on about this right now in the members' Facebook group. They're bringing in leads with their Facebook ads. So their ads are working, but they're having trouble qualifying those leads and having them go on to book sessions and make great sales. So this This is the course that will help you with that. Now, just one last thing. If you have a staff member or you're thinking about bringing a staff member on to make these calls for you, of course, they can do the training on your behalf or you can access the training and give them access to it as well as long as they are part of your studio and working for you. I think that will be a terrific option if you're looking at outsourcing these lead qualification calls. And of course, I should add, you don't need to be making phone calls. You can also use 
text messaging, you can use emails, or just gonna cover the pros and cons of each of those, how you can combine all three, or use the medium that you want to be and that you're comfortable with with your clients and your calls for text messaging. So again, all the details are at photobizx.com forward slash qualify. Looking forward to having you there on the live call if you can make it, otherwise you'll have access to that recording and the original Facebook ads course as well, which is normally 197 US dollars on its own. And it really has been the gold standard in regards to Facebook ads courses. So now you'll have a way to generate leads and how to qualify those leads as well with this training from Audra. You're listening to the number one photography business podcast with Andrew Helmich, photobizx.com. Alrighty, we are going to jump into this interview with Marie in just a second. If you are hearing this announcement, it does mean you are listening to the free version of the podcast. Now, what that means is you won't hear the full interview today with Marie. I am saving a large portion of the second half for premium members only. The good news is you can access the full interview with Marie for as little as $1 with a 30-day trial membership. There are more details about that over at photobizx.com forward slash try. Sign up for a dollar. Check out what you're missing every single week, starting with what Marie shares in today's episode, which is an absolute ripper. Get an invite to the members Facebook group. See about the rebates and specials you get as a premium member on all the different courses. There is so much that goes into your premium membership for so, so little of an investment. Again, more details over at photobizx.com forward slash try. Welcome to another great eye for business. It's time for Andrew's special guest. Today's guest is a true animal lover. She worked in veterinary medicine for over eight years and decided to pursue a career in pet photography following that. It was COVID that opened the door for her to start her business and go after that dream she had of being a pet photographer. Interestingly, it took just over a year to crack the six-figure milestone. And she did it without doing consultation calls and without pretending to be an extrovert. And on her about page, on her website, she says and she shares that she's autistic, introverted, and prefers to stay behind the computer and the camera. She's been recommended to me by multiple premium members, and I am wrapped to have her with me now. I'm talking about Marie Wolfram, and here she is. Marie, welcome. How are you? Good. I'm happy to be here. Awesome. So tell me, why did you decide to chase or go after becoming a pet photographer? You know, I ask myself that question all the time because I can't quite remember exactly where the turning point was, but there was definitely just a moment where it just kind of hit me one day of I'd been doing vet med for so long and I'd been a hobby photographer for so long. So why don't I just meld the two together? And that's exactly what I did. Like, did you hear a podcast? Do you know other pet photographers? Like, did you even know it was a thing? I didn't at all. And that's part of why I've been trying to figure out where exactly I got that idea. Part of me thinks I may have just stumbled upon an ad on Facebook and it just got that ball rolling and it just made it a bit of a reality for me. So I dove in and learned all about it. Unbelievable. So how do you think that you got to over six figures within or just over 12 months? Because to me, it either has to be a ton of sessions, a ton of clients, or you came in with a pretty good price list that put you in a position to be able to you know, reach those figures. I did. I started pretty much right out the gate doing IPS. And I also was massively overworking myself in the very beginning. 
I was a 2 a.m. kind of person. So I woke up at 2 a.m. all the time just so that I had the time to work on my business because I also have a young kid at home. So it was very much a balancing act. But it was definitely any free time that I had was business time. And I just, I tend to research things very heavily and extensively. I also invested in education very early on. So I joined Hair of the Dog. I found your podcast. Um, I found a number of other podcasts as well. And I'm also very heavy on actually taking action on the things that I learn. So as soon as I learn something, I tend to implement it pretty quickly. Awesome. Unreal. So do you think it was the number of clients or was it a, you know, a good price list that positioned you to make that money? I think it was a bit of both because um, my price list has definitely changed quite a few times over the last two years. But I did start with a pretty decent price list, even in the beginning. It was definitely really scary. But I knew if I wanted to reach the figures that I wanted to reach, that I needed to, I couldn't do the shoot and burn at all. And so doing my cost of goods at the very beginning was also very crucial because it showed me right off the bat that I needed to do something different from what I had seen like in my community. Right. So do you have any kind of business background? Are your parents in the business, friends, family? No. No. None at all. Unreal. Well, are you surprised at your success? I am. I am definitely super surprised at it. My husband was always a believer that I would do it even right from the beginning. But I was always the kind of person that I'd get an idea. I'd think that I could make a business out of it. I'd chase it for like a couple months and then I'd drop it. And honestly, that was my biggest worry when I first started pet photography, that it was just going to be another one of those things. But thankfully it wasn't. And I'm still here. Unreal. And then what about the transition from the vet clinic? Did you quit that and go full-time photography or did it get affected by COVID? What, what happened there? It was a little bit of both. So I first started thinking and playing around with the idea of pet photography in the beginning of 2020. And of course, shortly thereafter, COVID started happening. And so that idea completely went out the window. I didn't even consider it because I was like, well, if I can't even meet up with people, even in public, how could I possibly build a business? So I actually dove headfirst into learning about life coaching and Instagram coaching. So I dabbled in that a little bit, which I do think definitely helped me in the long run, because I learned so much about Instagram. I learned quite a lot about coaching, which is something that I offer now as well. And so I guess that kind of set the stage a little bit. And then when restrictions lifted, I was able to pursue the pet photography again and kind of hit the ground running since I had a little bit of a, I guess you could say a little bit of a business background at that point, because I kind of built it a little bit. But during COVID, I did withdraw myself from my job. I was supposed to have my position protected. They told me that I could come back once things calmed down. But then when I reached out to go back, they said that they couldn't, they couldn't take me back. They didn't have a spot, which I was very surprised. And I'm not sure if the veterinary industry is the same where you are, but they're massively hurting and super understaffed. So I was very surprised that they didn't take me back. Wow. But you know, one door closes and the other one swing wide open. Absolutely. So I'm guessing that that was the real push to make this thing work. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's so good. Um, well, so good and so bad. <laughs> I mean, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> it was scary for a little bit there. Absolutely. A blessing in disguise. Mm-hmm. So tell me about the business now, because it sounds like you, you hit the ground running. Things were awesome the first year. So you've been in the business now for two years or just over two years? A little over two years. Figures mm-hmm. still going up? Yeah, absolutely. Currently, if things keep going the way I hope I do for the rest of the year, I'm on track for 150K for the year. 
I've already passed 100 for this year. That's so good. So when you throw out figures like that, so 150K for the year, you're talking about gross income, aren't you? Yes. Okay. And then, so are you taking home a large portion of that? A pretty decent amount. Um, I'm not as in the numbers as I really should be. So I don't have exact numbers, but I do believe it's between 40 and 50%. Okay. Awesome. Unreal. So could you obviously have to pay tax and the cost of Mm -hmm. goods out of that as well? Yeah, absolutely. So, okay. So what's your target then for the following year? Do you have one? Next year, my goal is 200, but my stretch goal is 250. Okay. So are you working with Joel Dunn? I'm not. Okay. (laughs) He uses that term all the time, stretch goal. I thought, oh, that's a giveaway. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Okay. So you're on target for 150 this year, stretch goal is 250 for the following year. Mm -hmm. And you said, well, I said in the intro that I learned about you that you don't make phone calls. No. Sounds like you don't talk to clients before the actual session. Is that right? I do talk to them, but it's all over text. So I basically, I do the consult, but I do it via text the same way that I would do it over a phone call. And people get worried thinking that texts are going to be too long and people won't read them, but they honestly really do. And sometimes my clients send me texts that are longer than the ones I send them. Okay. So why do you choose to go that route? Part of it is because I'm super introverted, um, which most people don't really pick up on. But I guarantee you after this call, I'm going to need a nap. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But then also in the very beginning, part of it was because of my son. So I did a lot of the consultation phase, you know, during the day when I had my kiddo. And he is also autistic and he was dealing with a lot of really big emotions when I first started. So having phone calls was very hard, even when I had to just set up, you know, basic like doctor appointments and things. It was very difficult. So I knew I wouldn't be able to have in-depth conversations with clients at that time as well. And then also secondary to that, because I'm autistic as well, I found it so much easier to have a script that instead of trying to read off of it or memorize it and try to make it sound authentic, it was so much easier for me to just be able to copy and paste those messages into a text. And at the same time, I can have multiple consultation conversations going on at the same time. All right. I want to ask you a couple of things. I want to ask you more about the text messaging. But you brought up the fact that you're autistic, your son's autistic. I said it in the intro as well. Um, I don't know a lot about autism. I know very little about it. But obviously, you know, you, you can still function perfectly mm-hmm. with your autism. So there's obviously a, you have a, is it a lower grade? Is that how it works? Yeah. So a lot of people don't really like the term like higher grade or lower grade or anything like that, because it is a very broad spectrum. Think of it as like a DJ music board with all the different sliders. And it's just a matter of everybody's sliders are a little bit different. But I am actually quite different from my son. Even he would be what you consider kind of a more higher needs sort of autistic and From the way I grew up, I had to kind of learn how to be in the world. I was not diagnosed until, well, actually, technically, I've never been officially diagnosed, but I went through all of the same testing myself that my son went through, and every single one of them came out almost the same as his. So a lot of people in the autism community, they stand behind self-diagnosis, especially when it comes to adults, because it's very hard to get a diagnosis as an adult. But a lot of it is just learned. I had to learn how to function. And, you know, we didn't have the support growing up for mental health and stuff that they have now. It's it's crazy how much support is out there now. And even then, it's still not enough. So 
but yeah, I just kind of learned how to make it happen and make it work. So with autism, like, do you feel it? Like, do you know you have the symptoms or do you, and you have to suppress them or how does that work? A little bit. So what you can't see actually right now is on this call, I have a, a large dice because I fidget quite a lot. I'm a very fidgety kind of person. I used to be very stuttery. I struggled a lot with connecting with people. It took me a long time to understand human interaction, which sounds weird when I say it like that. <laughs> but just knowing like what was socially appropriate, what's not socially appropriate. I used to ask a lot of questions of people that would be deemed like socially inappropriate, but it's just because I didn't understand why they were wrong. Um, I'm also not much of a beat around the bush kind of person. I say things as they are. I don't tend to kind of fluff things up for people. I just, I speak plainly and I speak whatever comes to my mind. So that does get me in trouble sometimes. And again, it's another reason why I like doing things over text because I can think them out a little bit more. So good. Um, tell me about your clients. Uh, and this question is leading somewhere, but yeah. like, what's the demographic of your typical client? I would say most of them are either single or couples. None of them have kids. I really try to avoid sessions with kids. And, you know, most of them are double income. Not always, though. It's been pretty hard for me to kind of narrow it down because I do get such a wide variety of clients. I've gotten single people that are younger and older. I've gotten couples that are younger and older. Um, it's really been kind of all over the place because, as you can imagine, most people have dogs. Yeah, for sure. But I do find the ones that don't have kids are usually the better ones. <laughs> better clients? Yes, because they're less divided between the dogs and the kids. So if they only have dogs, they're their entire world. So it's a lot easier not only to do the session, but also to sell things afterwards as well. Understandable. Yeah, for sure. The reason I asked you that is because I imagine that you would certainly have some older clients. A few. Or middle-aged clients. And then you turn up and like the listener can't see you, but they certainly can see you on your about page. And you have a, like a, a lip ring. I do, yeah. Yeah, like so is that a shock to some of like some of the clients when they turn up or the clients' partners when they see you? Like is that like ooh No. It's not. I've never had it come up. And I've got like blue and purple hair. I've got lots of tattoos. I generally my work shirt is a tank top, so they see all of my tattoos. Um <laughs> I've never run into any issues whatsoever when it comes to that. Yeah, I didn't I didn't think you would have issues. I thought some people would be like like shocked, a bit of shock factor. But you don't you don't even see that. No. Not at all. That's so cool. All right, awesome. So tell me about the text messaging. You said that you get to copy and paste these text messages. So are you using your phone or an SMS or text service? I use Google Voice. So I can use my phone. I generally do most of my conversations on my laptop, though. Okay. And then so using Google Voice, do you have saved scripts somewhere else on your computer or you just type a few letters? I just have them on my computer. Yeah, they're just on my computer. So are you using something like Text Expander? You know, so for me, I'll, I'll type in like, a, you know, a little keyword and a whole paragraph will be written. Do you do that same kind of thing or you just copy and paste? That would be smart, but I just <laughs> copy and paste. <laughs> I would have a hard time remembering all of the different shortcuts because I have so many different templates that I've basically created for myself and they're not always the same flow. So I'll choose like a response or a question based on how the conversation is going. So that would be quite a lot of shortcuts for me to have to remember. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So what have you, is it a spreadsheet or is it a Word doc? 
It's actually, it's just a post-it note app that's on my computer. <laughs> yeah, this is great. I keep meaning to switch it over to a Google Doc so it's easier for me to access on my phone. Because right now when I'm using it on my phone, I just kind of, I'll scroll through other clients' conversations and just copy and paste from there. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right. So how much of the conversations that you're having are copy and pasted from your templates? Quite a lot. Most of it, honestly. Like, obviously, I'll, you know, adjust them for personalizations, change the names and things like that. And, you know, any candid moments that happen, like if they're telling me a story, you know, I'll respond, of course, to the story and things like that. But generally, when I'm trying to keep the conversation moving forward and following the general flow that I have, it's all just copy and paste. God, okay. And I've never used Google Voice, certainly for texting. So that's just a an option, a button I can click. Yeah. And just send text. Yeah, it's really awesome. It's just like using Messenger, except it's sending texts. Right, okay. And is the Google Voice number the number, like your mobile phone number, or is it a separate number you've set up for your business? It's a separate one that I set up for my business. I definitely wanted to have that separation there. Right, so then does that mean you need to have two mobile phones or two SIMs in your phone, or you just hook up to Google? No, actually, it all just works through the app. So I have the Google Voice app on my phone. And so if I do get phone calls, it'll go through there. So I do know that it is a business phone call. Not that I answer anyway. I never answer any phone calls, <laughs> business or personal. <laughs> um, but same for texts. I always know what's a business text and what's not a business text because it'll come through the app versus my regular texts. That's so cool. Okay, so what happens if a client does ring you and you don't want to answer? Do they have to leave a voicemail or do you just send them a text? They have to leave a voicemail. I will usually send a text, like if they don't leave a voicemail, but anyone who's been actually interested in anything, they do leave a voicemail. My voicemail does, you know, direct them to leave a voicemail with a good number to text or their email. And it specifically says that I don't make phone calls in my business. And so it's either give me that information or fill out my contact form. Okay, so you're straight up front about all this, mm -hmm. the fact there's going to be no phone calls. Oh, yeah. So tell me, if I let's say I respond to one of your ads or a promotion that you're running. You've never worked with me before, and I, I ring you, I leave a voicemail and say, hey, it's Andrew here. I'm interested in having my dog photographed by you. Love your work. Do you then enter my details into your contacts list so you know that if I text you again? I do, yes. I have it all in my phone. I do keep all of my contacts together so that I have all of the names and everything. Um, I have them organized. Like I don't put just their name as their name. I'll put like an L for lead or a C for clients just to keep it somewhat organized in my contacts. But yeah, I save all of that information. And then I do have, for people that do reach out and we do have a little bit of a conversation, I do put them into my CRM. So I have that saved outside of just my phone. Got it. And which CRM are you using? Dubsado. Okay. We talked about that in last week's episode, which is pretty <laughs> cool. <laughs> okay. So I call you, I make an inquiry. You've obviously have my name and my number. So then you manually add that or you just add my details then into your contact list and label me as a lead. Yep. And then you reply. Mm -hmm. Not from your phone. You wait till you get home and in front of your computer and you'll send me a text. I'll usually respond from my phone. If I'm out and I'm not like busy or distracted and I do have a moment, I will send that initial text. Um, if it's after hours, usually I'll either respond if I've been on a session. I'll usually say, you know, I just finished up with a session, but it is after hours. So I'll follow up with you next day. Otherwise, if it's after hours, I'll just follow up in the morning. 
Got it. Got it. Changing tact here. Before we started recording, I said, you know, what's your day been like? We're trying to check the audio, get all that sorted out. And you said, uh, I've actually been going over my numbers because I knew you were going to ask me about my numbers. (laughs) What did you find when you went through your numbers and why don't you look at them so much? You know, it's really funny because it's one of those things that I actually really enjoy doing when I do it, but it's never at the top of my list of things to do if I have some time to do something. Because of course, being a creative, I'd rather, you know, make social media posts or do something a little more creative. It's rare that I like actually want to dive into the more nitty gritty stuff. But once I do, I'm actually really interested. And I do, I love spreadsheets. So that's actually what I did. And I was looking through like my average booking rates and I actually separated it out for my booking rate based on where they came from. So like I have my Google booking rate, Facebook booking rate, things like that, as well as just the average spend from whichever avenue they come from. So I actually went pretty into the weeds about it. But overall, looking at my booking rate, it's pretty close to 50% overall. So that 50% booking rate, is that from inquiries? Is that leads that have come through Facebook? Like, What is that? That's overall. So inquiries from all sources versus the ones that have actually booked me for a session. Right. So 50% of your inquiries convert to a booking. Mm -hmm. Awesome. That's awesome. (laughs) What else did you find? (laughs) Um, So I did notice, of course, that family and friend referrals are definitely the top for sure. And their average spend is quite high. It is my highest average spend at uh, 5,300. Fantastic. Versus like, I was very surprised actually to find that my next highest was actually Facebook and Instagram. Facebook being 3,700 and Instagram being 3,000. That's interesting as well. Okay. So Instagram was a little bit less than Facebook. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. Just tell me about the family and friend referrals. Are you doing anything to help encourage those referrals? I don't. It's been on my to-do list to set something up and be a little more proactive about that. But honestly, I feel like a great experience itself is enough. You know, if somebody has a great time, they get great images and they get great products, they're going to talk about you, especially their family and friends, and especially when it comes to pets, because everybody loves talking about their pets at any opportunity that they get. For sure. So when you say a great experience, you said three things there. One of them was the shoot. One of them was the products. What was the other one? Uh, the images themselves. The images themselves, sure. And like your photography is fantastic. So like of those three, well, tell me about the actual shoot experience, because to me, that would be the one that really gets them excited about the images and what they're going to actually take home and then talk about later. Are you doing anything, do you think, different to other pet photographers at the session that makes it so good for them? You know, I don't think necessarily. I do have an assistant now that comes with me. So she helps take a little bit of the stress off of being able to like pose their dogs. And if the dogs are being crazy, she'll run around with them to try to burn some energy. But overall, I think what actually happens is Sessions can be a little bit stressful because obviously the pet parents are like, my dog's being crazy. There's no way we're getting good images. How could we possibly be getting good images when they're being just so crazy and all over the place? But then they see the images and they realize it's kind of that combination between the experience and the images that even though their dog was crazy, we worked through it really well. I've had people tell me specifically that they'd love seeing how me and my assistant work together and just make it happen even with the craziest of dogs. 
And then to see that despite all of that, we still got really amazing images. And they they always tell me they had a great time, which always surprises me because sometimes it feels like they're getting super stressed out. And then at the end, they're like, this was so much fun. And I'm like, okay, good, because you seemed really stressed out. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was going to say, maybe it is the images that is, you know, really what's wowing them. But it sounds like they're Mm -hmm. having fun, even though it doesn't look like it. Yeah. I mean, I've even had husbands that when they're first rolling up, they're they're rolling their eyes and they're like, I can't believe we're doing this for our dog. But then at the end, they're like, you know, I actually had so much fun. This was way more fun than I thought it was going to be. And, you know, if I'm impressing the husbands, that's way more than enough for me. I agree. I agree. I think if the husband's on board, then uh, you're going to have some good sales. Mm-hmm. That's so good. Tell me about the way that you're attracting the clients. So it sounds obviously like even though family and friends are getting you the largest sales, is that where most of your clients are coming from? They're not actually. Most of my clients actually come in through event giveaways. And I specifically say event giveaways because I don't do any giveaways on like Facebook or Instagram. So what's an event giveaway? When I'm a, a vendor. So if I am I have a booth at an event um, in person, so I have my products there, I have my images, of course, on display, and then I'll also have a giveaway that people can enter. And that's how I get, honestly, most of my clients. Right. So what kind of event? Usually dog events. So we have a couple of just dog-specific events. So we'll have lots of different, like, treat vendors, bandana makers, and all sorts of small businesses that cater specifically to pets. And there's a couple of events throughout the year where we all get together and it's just like we set up at a park and it's a lot of fun. So this is like a a flea market sort of a setup, car boot sale sort of thing. Yeah. For pets. Yep. So is it the local council that's promoting this or who promotes it? How do you get people to that event? It's kind of, it just depends on the event. So there are some that like the cities will put on and they will be promoting it, which is really good because we'll get a lot more, you know, visibility and marketing because they've got the budget. But there are some events, like I've got one that's coming up pretty soon, actually, where some of us small businesses will just get together and we'll just make up our own event. They're usually a bit smaller, but they're still, they're community driven. So usually a lot of the local community comes out and supports. Um, We've got a lot of different areas that are very like local focused. A lot of people love shopping and supporting locals. So when there's a bunch of local businesses that get together for a small event, that local community is all for it and they'll come out. So good. So like, could you have like someone selling honey next to you and beside them, someone that's, you know, making scarves and selling those, or is it all pet stuff only? It's usually all pet stuff only. Sometimes we'll get the occasional, um, just kind of like random small business, but most of the time it's pet specific. Okay, so if you get together then with other small business owners that have an interest in pets or animals, then is it up to you then to run Facebook ads, Instagram? Do you all take take onus on getting people to that event? Uh Uh-huh, yeah. All of us small businesses will usually have like a like a group thread where we're talking about like marketing ideas and stuff. But most of it is just organic promotion, like on Instagram and a little bit of Facebook. You know, a lot of us do have newsletters, so we'll promote via that as well. But yeah, it's usually pretty organic. Sometimes I'll run ads if I feel like it. (laughs) (laughs) And do you need a lot of people, a lot of the community to come through to make those events successful? Not really. You know, it really just kind of depends on the goal of the event, which most of the time it's just kind of to have fun when it's the smaller ones like that. 
it's just a time to have fun. All of the businesses get to get together and interact because sometimes, you know, we're all just behind our screens. So it's really nice to just get together and do what we love to do, which is, you know, promote our businesses and meet local dog people. Wow. Okay. This is so good. So like you must have to get permission to run these events too. Like if you're in a local park, you can't just go and set up there and have a stall. Yes. So we haven't been able to do any at a park. The couple of events, smaller events like that, that we've done have actually been hosted by a dog friendly bar in our area. So that has actually worked out really in our favor because she has a great space. She loves supporting small businesses and she has no problem hosting those events. She doesn't even charge us. Um, She would only charge us if we were to take over the entire venue, but she has a decent size outdoor space that she lets us use. And it's, it's no charge. Wow. I guess it's good for her business too. If she's got a a dog bar. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. So tell me about the stand that you have there. So is there trestle tables supplied? Do you hire those? Do you show albums? Like, Describe your stand for me. Yeah. So I usually have one, maybe two, uh, just regular six foot fold out tables, nice tablecloths. You know, I have a nice display, so it looks nice, but um, yeah, I just have one to two albums. Um, I'm trying to think of my normal display. I actually had a bunch of stuff stolen recently. So my oh. display is a bit a bit scarce at the moment. I'm still waiting on some new samples, but usually a couple albums, some wall art, and then just some smaller prints just to help um, show more images. And then I do have a large, like a 10 foot by six foot banner that I hang at the back of my booth, which just has a ton of images that really draws attention. And it says, you know, no training required because it's really not. That's my assistance for. And then I have a big standing banner, like a retractable banner that advertises the giveaway and gets people coming in. Got it. So are things that competitive with other pet photographers that are stealing your images? Well, what's, what's going on with it? Who's stealing your photos? It's they. No, <laughs> unfortunately, I had gotten back really late from a session and I had a bunch of my samples in my car. And the downside is I carry all of my samples in just a regular like rolling suitcase. And since I had gotten back late from the session, I had left that suitcase in the car and my car had gotten broken into. Uh, and of course, whoever it was, they just saw a suitcase right. and grabbed the suitcase. So Bugger. yeah, it was useless to them, but it was quite a lot of money that I had to fork out to replace. What a nightmare. <laughs> what a nightmare. Well, that's better than another photographer taking your work. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I want to get into the giveaway, but just tell me the location where you're servicing, that you're living, working. Is it a big population, small population? It is. And I actually, I don't limit myself to just like my local city. I tell people that I service all of Western Washington. And really, honestly, I would travel more than that. It's just outside of that, I would have to start charging like travel fees and stuff. But I service a lot of like the South Puget Sound area, which would be like Tacoma, Olympia, areas like that. And then I also go north where it's more like Seattle and Bellevue, kind of the slightly more, I don't really want to say higher end, but they're more expensive cities to live in. And I've even gone even farther north than that. I sometimes travel up to two hours just to go to clients' homes. Right. Well, okay. So I'm looking at your Facebook page at the moment and it says the big banner says fully booked for outdoor custom sessions with the exception of rainbow sessions so is that true or is it just getting too cold to go and do shoots outside it's a little bit of both (laughs) (laughs) generally when it starts getting later into the year like i do still have a few more sessions but generally november december and even like january february it can get really 
hard to schedule sessions. And so I do take people in during those times, but I do make it very clear that we are going to still shoot no matter what the weather, if it rains, it rains, you know, and it's, it's a conversation that we have based on what they're looking for. Cause obviously if they're looking for warm t-shirt, tank top, dress weather, now's not the time to do it. <laughs> so I do take it on a limited basis because I the last thing I want is to get to spring with a wait list of 50 people of constantly rescheduling, but I don't book ahead like I do the rest of my calendar. Right. Okay. So what do you do in the winter months? Do you photograph indoors, the studio? That's actually something that I'm currently working on. Um, I'm practicing and learning with studio lighting. I do have a studio that I have paid throughout the rest of the year um, to practice and hopefully start bringing in clients. But it's it's something that I'm kind of dabbling in at the moment. What, so up until now, you've had winter off or limited shoots? Just limited shoots. Wow. Okay. So that's even like the, the business looks even better. So if you introduce studio sessions through the colder months, I mean, yeah, the income's going to go straight up. That's how I'm hoping to hit that 250. <laughs> so good. <laughs> um, what's a rainbow session? Is that an end of life session? It's an end of life session, yeah. Got it. Okay, so people want to book those, they can obviously still have them. Yes, absolutely. I make those available regardless of my schedule and calendar. You know, I have set days that I generally do sessions, but of course, if somebody contacts me and needs one same day, next day, I'll do my best to fit them in. Cool. I want to bring you back to your stand at these outdoor, they're not necessarily outdoor events, are they? They're just events. They usually are. They're usually outdoor okay. events. So the last thing you said was you had the big pull-up banner with details about your giveaway. Mm-hmm. What is the giveaway? Is it a session and large wall art? I do a session and an 11 by 14 print that can be either mounted or matted, but no framing. I don't do credits anymore. For me, I like running my business in a way that feels good. If something doesn't feel good, I don't do it. So for me to feel good about doing a giveaway, it had to include something tangible and something decent. So like I, when I first started, I was doing a five by seven print, but I started just not feeling good about it. First off, I don't want to put in people's minds five by seven because it's just too small. And then on top of that, if that ended up being the only thing that they walked away with, I would feel a little just, I wouldn't feel great about it. Versus an 11 by 14, it's a good size. It starts getting people thinking about something bigger than even just an 8 by 10. So just putting that in their their minds and planting that seed right from that first moment was really important. And I also mentioned that I only ever do giveaways at events. That's because it gives me a chance to not only talk to them, but they see from the moment that they meet me that I do products, that i not just about digitals. They can see it, they can feel all the products. And that's honestly sometimes what gets them excited to want to enter the giveaway. So do you offer digitals if they want it or want them? Yes. Right. Yeah, they can get digitals on their own. Um, now I do, my price includes a digital and a print if they want a print. If they don't, it's the same price. So, I mean, they're still paying a significant amount and it saves me money at the end of the day if they decide they just want the digitals. Yeah, for sure. So tell me what happens. So you're at the um, expo or at the event and they see someone walks past. You've got your fold-out banner there. says giveaway, uh, pet photography, 11 by 14, uh, print. Like is there a fishbowl there and a notepad with it or is there iPads? How do they enter this giveaway? And do they know to go and enter it straight away? They do. It's very clear. I have a little framed QR code. Actually, I just have a small table that sits right next to that banner and it has a framed print basically that says, you know, scan this to enter the giveaway. And so it has a really big QR code. 
So it's it's pretty hard to miss. <laughs> but I do honestly get a couple of people who will step into the tent and ask me, you know, how do I enter the giveaway? And of course, I'll direct them over to the QR code. I used to do fill out a piece of paper. I did it one time and realized that a lot of people have handwriting that I just can't read. (laughs) (laughs) And then it was also such a pain in the butt to enter all of those in manually into my email list and into my CRM. And I was like, I am never doing this again. (laughs) It's all digital for me now. So, okay. So I scan your QR code. It takes me to, I'm guessing a landing page. Mm -hmm. What information are you collecting at that point? Premium members of Photobiz Exposed hear more of the best photography business strategies from every guest. Marie, you have been amazing. Massive congrats on your success. Like, Thank you. You must have to pinch yourself sometimes because what a rocket to the top. It's been fantastic talking to you. Thank you for sharing everything you have. I'll link to where the listener can find you in the show notes. Again, massive thanks. Thank you for having me. It's been my pleasure. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Marie as much as I did. Marie, if you are listening, again, thank you so much for coming on, for sharing everything you did. What an incredibly successful business you've built in such short time. And I love the way you've customized it to suit your life and your lifestyle. Just just amazing. And again, thank you so much. I've got to give a big special shout out to Gina Sewell. I'm not sure, Gina, if it's Gina Sewell or Soul or Sule. But big thank you to you and also to Birgit Zimmerman, who both got on to me about getting Marie onto the podcast. So I do hope you both enjoyed the interview today with Marie. Now, for you, the listener, if you do have a follow-up question for Marie, I'll be adding her into the members' Facebook group, so you'll have easy access to her there if you're a premium member. Otherwise, I'll have links to anything and everything she mentioned, including where you can find her online if you want to reach out to her directly. Those details will be in the show notes. And this week, you'll find them at photobizx.com forward slash 536. Now, in addition to those links, I've also got examples of Marie's incredibly beautiful work. It's all there in that one spot in the show notes. That is just about going to wrap up this episode of the podcast. I did say at the top of the show, I was at a wedding on the weekend and it was so, so good for a number of reasons. It was a family wedding. So Linda's, my wife, Linda, her little brother was married on the weekend and I wasn't the photographer. I got to be 100% a guest and just enjoy the day. And it was, it was spectacular. They got married in the botanical gardens down in Sydney with the view of the opera house and the harbour bridge and the harbour. It was a magnificent day, blue skies, well, magnificent for guests, maybe, maybe a bit more difficult for the photographer, but blue skies, a slight breeze, and uh, yeah, it was just magic. And then we went down to the Spit, which is an interesting name, I guess, if you're uh, not from Sydney, the Spit Junction, or down at uh, Mossman for the reception, again, down on the harbour there. It was just, yeah, a magnificent day and so, so much fun. We all, we all had an amazing time. It's so good, isn't it, to get together with family, all dressed up and enjoy a day like that. What I was surprised at in regards to the photographers was how casually they were dressed. There were two photographers. One did look a little smarter than the other, but uh, it was two women, pretty casual. I was really surprised, particularly because the invitations that went out to the guests were asking for formal attire. Everyone was in jacket and tie, 
The women looked incredible, all frocked up. And yeah, there was a photographer or photographers who both really stood out by way of dress. I mean, the lead photographer had um, reasonably old white sand shoes, beige denim three-quarter pants, and a pretty regular weekend-type top. Now, that's obviously not suggesting that the photos won't be amazing. I actually had a look at their website. They have beautiful work. But it was surprising how much they stood out, how noticeable their attire was. And it was something that our family talked about. I'm not sure if everyone at the reception or everyone at the wedding would have noticed, but certainly uh, our family, having me as a wedding photographer, you know, that, that was instantly obvious to us. The other thing that I, I did notice, and I was surprised, that was how much this particular photographer was using the LCD or live view screen to frame up, compose, and take her photos. One of the photographers was using the viewfinder, like, like I have my whole life, but the other one, I think 90 or 95% of the time, she was framing up and shooting by using the LCD screen, which was surprising to me. Uh, and I guess everyone has their own way of shooting, but that's the first time I've seen that from a photographer shooting that much in that way. Sure, I mean, I've used the screen for different uh, composition. You know, usually when I'm down very low or trying to get up high and shoot down for a different, uh, a different aspect or point of view. But yeah, she shot most of the day like that. Is this something that's happening more and more out there? Is this something that you're doing? Am I behind the times when it comes to using the LCD screen? Maybe I am. Let me know. I'd love to hear your feedback on that one. And I'd love to hear about your feedback. If you've been to a wedding or an event where there was a photographer and you weren't it, and uh, what you thought. I mean, were you like me? Were you watching where she was uh, setting up people in regards to lighting? I mean, there was one, one time she set them up under this tree uh, and there was this speckled, mottled light coming through the trees onto, onto the subject's faces. And I thought, oh, my God, that, that's just going to be hideous. <laughs> I just walked away. I mean, I thought, Let's let her do what she's doing. Let them do what they're doing. And uh, I'll, I'll be happy to look at the results. Uh, it certainly wasn't up to me there to be critiquing and giving advice or my point of view. Uh, I was happy there just uh, being a, an onlooker. It was, it was a, a really fun day in that regard. Anyway, let me know your thoughts. Have you been to an event, to a wedding or something else where there's been a photographer and uh, how did you go critiquing them or did you just uh, ignore them and, and enjoy the day? Love to hear feedback. Let me know. Alrighty, that really is it for me for this episode of the podcast. Big thanks again to Marie Wolfram for coming on, sharing everything she did. Thanks to Gina and Birgit for recommending Marie for the interview. What an amazing guest. Don't forget about the upcoming training with Audra Harris. More details about that over at photobizx.com forward slash qualify. I really do think that is the missing link for so many photographers. So go and check that one out. Hope to see you there on that live call. Otherwise, have a fantastic week wherever you are in the world. Stay safe, healthy, and well, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye for now. If you have enjoyed this episode, head to photobizx.com. Join the conversation, leave a comment, and share your thoughts on the interview with Andrew and today's special guest. 